Hello and welcome to the Highwood Health Show. My guest for this episode is Frank Rivera. He is the president and founder of the nonprofit Sarcoidosis of Long Island since 2012. Frank's journey is, sadly, a common one among sarcoidosis patients. In 2004, when he first noticed something was wrong, he went into the doctor and got a diagnosis, a wrong diagnosis. Fast forward eight years later, he finally got an answer to what was happening, but I'll let him explain the rest of the story. But just so you know, since then, he has raised awareness among government officials, both locally and nationally. He has spoken at two congressional briefings, done multiple speaking engagements, and been on local and national news, including NBC Nightly News. And he's also the national ambassador for sarcoidosis, as well as a WECO health patient leader. I'm very happy to have been able to share this conversation with Frank, to learn about his struggles, his mission, and the difference he's already made at so many levels. Now, before we go on and listen to Frank, let me remind you about our Vault of Goodies. Our Vault of Goodies is a free directory where you can log in at any time and see each episode in audio and video format in its original, often much longer version. You can even download the actual audio and MP3 format, the videos, and the entire transcript of everything. To sign up, just head on over to dre.show forward slash goodies, or just find the link in this episode's description. But I don't want to keep you any longer. Here's my conversation with Frank Rivera. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. So, Frank Rivera, you are a national ambassador for psychoidosis and a WeGo health patient leader. I am very excited to be able to welcome you to the Highway to Health Show and really help you raise awareness for sarcoidosis. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's been a long journey for me, and I am so glad to be here and let everybody know what sarcoidosis is really about. Good. So actually, why don't you share with us a little bit about your journey? How did this whole thing start for you? Okay. Actually, it happens a lot, and I have a rare disease called sarcoidosis. Well, a lot of rare diseases get misdiagnosed. Well, in 2004, I had problem breathing, which is very rare for me because I was a runner. I mean, I ran marathons. I broke four minutes in a mile. (laughs) So from going to that to I couldn't even walk, say, maybe a quarter of a mile, I couldn't even walk. And I was having trouble breathing. So I went to the emergency room and they found masses in my lungs. And they did a biopsy and they said I had lung cancer. Like I said, it happens a lot in the rare disease world that you get misdiagnosed. But unfortunately, this hospital went a little bit further, and I ended up going four years of chemo and radiation for a misdiagnosis. Wow. Yeah. So um, very rare in that respect. But it's kind of weird because what sarcoidosis is, is basically in easy terms is my white blood cells, they go to fight off a cold or a disease, but instead of fighting off, they form granulomas or masses. Okay. So... If you look at a CT scan or x-ray, of course, you would look like you have some sort of cancer or tumors or like that. But the biopsy should have told them that it was actually sarcoidosis, but they misread the biopsy. So for me, the chemo actually did help in some respects because it stopped them from growing. 
but the radiation really hurt me bad. I started out at 135. By the time the four years was over, I was at 98 pounds and my whole immune system was compromised. So what happens is then your white blood cells start overacting. So more and more white blood cells started producing and they went to other parts of my body. And the granulomas keep growing in your lungs and, and whatnot. A lot of people don't realize this. And I've shared this in other episodes. You obviously don't know this. I'm a cancer survivor. So I did have chemotherapy and radiation. And when I share that year and I tell them, listen, sure. So chemo wipes you out, but you're expecting it. Radiation, you're not. Because you go in there and it's almost just like you're sitting there. You don't feel a thing. But then it starts accumulating and accumulating and you start getting all these different aches and pains and difficulties. And it really is awful. Yeah, yes, it really was. Like it was on and off, of course, for four years for me. But it was really rough. And the fact that I thought the lung cancer was never going to leave, it was really just to help my life live a little bit longer. But then in the four years, they actually told me I was in remission. So I thought I was fine. So that was at 2008. I was born and raised in New York. And I ended up moving back up to New York. And then in 2011, I also have IBS. I had trouble with my stomach. So I went to the hospital again. And they said, Oh, by the way, we just took an x ray. And in your bottom lobes, we see masses again. So I thought I had cancer again. They ended up doing the biopsy and finding out it was sarcoidosis. That was a long seven years. <laughs> That's what I want to say. So seven years later, you learned that what you thought you had for all this time wasn't accurate. Yes. Yeah, it was. And the doctor, when they said that, they're like, well, at least you don't have cancer. And this is just a regular surgeon who did the biopsies. But what I found out, I ended up going to, in New York, they have the largest sarcoidosis clinic in the world and Mount Sinai Hospital. And I ended up going to a specialist there and First of all, she actually got all the paperwork from Florida and brought it up. And that's how I found out it was misdiagnosed. She actually showed me under a microscope the difference. Like I could tell, and I'm not a scientist at all or anything. But she also told me that now that we found that you have it, we know you have it in 75% of your body now. That's because of my body breaking down from the chemo and radiation. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, but that was a good six years ago now, seven years ago now. Yeah. And since then, which is also part of the reason why I was so interested in having you join us and thank you so much for doing that. But since then, you've been actively working to raise awareness about this. Yeah. In 2012, I actually started my own organization called Sarcoidosis of Long Island. The reason was, is I didn't want anybody to ever have to go through what I just went through. That's one. And number two is I didn't want people to feel alone, especially when you're in a rare disease. You know, there's about 200,000 people in the United States that have sarcoidosis. So it's a rare disease. So it's hard to find somebody else who has it. So I wanted to make sure that somebody had a way that they could or somebody to get in touch with. Because the first thing I did is go online. And the national organization at that time was very small. They only had like three people working there. So yeah, we actually grew together because when I opened up my organization, they ended up getting a new CEO and somebody who's running the whole national organization. And we really worked a lot together. They do the research because it's called Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And I actually do the advocacy of government 
awareness. I was raising government awareness. I mean, I was um, I had frequent flight miles to Washington D.C. And also, I raise awareness with the people and making sure people learn about it. But for me, I wanted to make sure that it started from the ground. I started out with my town, and I have. I mean, I can't say how great of a relationship I have with my town council people. I mean, they back all my events. Every time I have an event, they're there. But I went from the town. Then I went to the county. The county, what they did was amazing. And actually, it's now being done everywhere. The health department sends out an email once a month to the doctors, to every doctor in the county. Well, they had the health department every month put a new fact about sarcoidosis and sent it to every doctor. And that was amazing. I could not believe it. Yeah, and then it went to the state. The state has said that April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. And now it's in 37 states has recognized Sarcoidosis, April as Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. And then, wow, yeah, I even talked to Senator Schumer, who's my senator. And he actually even spoke about when he was introducing Hillary Clinton in Harlem when she was running for office, he actually spoke about sarcoidosis in his speech. Didn't tell anybody that he was going to do it. We had a meeting, I think it was about two weeks before that. And all of a sudden, I get a call from his health aide, turn on the TV. He's going to talk about sarcoidosis. I just read it. And it's been going. I got accommodation from then President Barack Obama also, you know, with my work. And it's still so much awareness needs to be done. Well, of course. So tell me about your work, your actual work. How are you working towards raising awareness? Just making sure that people know or from what you said with the doctors? How is it? Like I said, I do the government and raise awareness with the government. Because when I first went to Washington, D.C., I was talking to, there's another national rare disease organization called RDLA. And one of the doctors from there told me that we were getting not one penny from the government for research. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this disease has been around since the 1700s. 1787, I think was the exact date they said it was first. Described. Yeah. So, and not to get one penny. So that blew my mind. So I started working with NIH and working with the national organization. And now they're funding us. I think last year it was $3 million. Wow. Why do you think that many of these diseases don't get that funding? Is it because they're not helping these different governments and the different people in the specific positions because they're not popular, specifically because they're rare and they figure out, well, you know, that's not going to get me a lot of good points. That's part of it. I also think it's, for our case, there was a lot of little groups that were doing organizations that were talking about sarcoidosis, but they were giving out different messages. Because at first people thought it was an autoimmune disease because it has to go with your white blood cells but yet it's also an inflammatory disease. So people were saying, hey, it's autoimmune. Then again, inflammatory. So who's going to give money to if we don't even know what it is? <laughs> so gotcha. yeah, so that was the first problem. But then the second thing I also found is that because it is rare, the pharmaceutical companies don't really want to spend all that money to get a drug approved. You know, it takes, you know, they're not going to make their money. back. Yeah, exactly. It takes billions of dollars to do a drug. And there's an often drug act that passed in the 80s and then also got cut just recently. That actually gave them exclusivity. So that gave them a reason to make the drugs. But now they cut that exclusivity down in half. 
So we're back to square one again when it comes to that. So that also makes it harder. And then the other thing I started to do is I actually put billboards up in Times Square. And I put people's faces of sarcoidosis. I put what is sarcoidosis and then started putting people's faces up and just get people to know it. I mean, I've had four billboards this year all day. <laughs> now, these things, for instance, that you're also doing. So obviously you're raising awareness with the government and then you mentioned trifle. So you're also going to doctors or trying to reach doctors. I'm guessing you're not going like from doctor's office to doctor's office. But what is the goal of actually raising awareness amongst doctors? Okay. Yeah. It's because sarcoidosis is what they call a snowflake disease. No two snowflakes are the same. No two sarcoidosis patients are the same. We could have it in the same areas, but we show different responses to diseases and the medicines. So one of the big things is we have over here at Stony Brook University. It's also a hospital, so it's a teaching university. What I did is I actually went to them and asked them if I could speak with their students, the medical students. And then I found out they only get one question on their finals about sarcoidosis. That's how they're supposed to remember sarcoidosis, but one question. So I had started working with them and it's actually now starting to become a regular in the curriculum at Stony Brook now, because now Stony Brook is also part of the 9-11 first responders. They're one of the appointed hospitals. So they really need to know about, because sarcoidosis is one of the highest, it might be the highest now diagnosed disease for first responders and survivors of 9-11. Why do you think that is? There is no cause. They don't know the cause of sarcoidosis yet. And of course, there's no cure. But they do know what accelerates it. And what accelerates is it's a heavy dust, chemicals, molds, environmental factors. So that gets into your lungs. 90 to 95% of sarcoidosis patients start off with sarcoidosis in their lungs. A couple of months ago, I was in New York City doing a workshop for physicians in terms of stem cell education. And one of them, who's an environmentally trained doctor, I don't even know how we got into talking about 9-11 first responders. And he said that he was letting everyone know that back then when this whole thing happened, he told his wife, because he was watching the news at home or whatever, he told his wife, he said, you're going to see 15 to 20 years the huge increase in number of respiratory illnesses and autoimmune disorders that we're going to start seeing just from people who are in the area, who live in the area from so many things. And the one thing that he was mentioning a lot, because obviously when you think about the World Trade Center and all the offices, he said, all oh, the neon lights that have been broken and have released all these fumes and coming out, he said, and people are breathing that no matter what filters you have, no matter everything. He said, even people who aren't like super near but who live down there. And sure enough, 15, 20 years later, we're seeing these things. Yes. Mount Sinai Hospital, before 2001, they only had about 1,500 sarcoidosis patients. And now there are over 20,000 sarcoidosis patients just in Mount Sinai Hospital alone. Well, of course. I mean, if you think about it, this was 2001 and we're 18 years later. And that's kind of like the perfect time frame because the first people who started developing it, like in your case, and because these doctors weren't thinking about sarcoidosis. And I think that's the big problem. They were not thinking about sarcoidosis. And that's why they went with the easier or most logical solution. I had a mentor in medical school, a teacher, who used to say that if a doctor thinks rare, he will rarely eat. 
trying to say that, you know, you have to think about the most common things because that's what's most likely. But in these kind of cases that actually ended up working totally against you. Yeah, they call our disease of exclusion. You know, you exclude every other thing and then finally find out it's sarcoidosis. But that's one of the things we're actually teaching. On the website, Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, we actually have workbooks for the doctors that show them exactly what will show up and then what you can expect to happen next. It's really like a a handbook of sarcoidosis and every part of the body at this point now. You know, we found the best doctors. Foundations for Sarcoidosis Research has doctors from as far away as Norway and Scandinavia countries and Austria. And they brought them all together and they basically wrote a handbook of at least what to look for. So make it easier for them. Because the one thing about our disease is if you catch sarcoidosis early, 75% of people go into remission. My brother-in-law actually has it. And he's been in remission for 26 years now. So when I heard sarcoidosis, I'm like, oh, wow, we can all go into remission, <laughs> you know? But now you see me, I was already chronic even before it started. Yeah, exactly. Now, what are the numbers in the rest of the world? I mean, because you're talking about 200,000, about 200,000 in the US where you have about 320 million people. So that's about one in a thousand. What about the rest of the world? Is it kind of similar? Europe is pretty close. The only difference between the United States and Europe right now, in the United States, it's more prevalent with African-American women. But in Europe, it's actually Scandinavian men. Why do you think it's that? My thought is it's the environment. It matters where they're living. Because where I'm living right now in Long Island, there's 2,000 sarcoidosis patients in Brookhaven town alone. And Brookhaven town has been known to have a cancer clusters because they have Brookhaven lab that's here that was testing for years and years since the 70s. And then we have also had trouble without landfills. So I really think it's the environment that they're in. I mean, it, it has got to be. Otherwise, how can you explain these clusters? Like, what else do all these people have in common except that they live in the same area? Especially when you're talking about, I mean, if you're saying that there's 200,000 sarcoidosis patients in all of the United States, but there's 2,000 in a small community within New York, that tells you something, right? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really trying to get out because just 2,000 in my community, like I said, in New York alone, there's 20,000. There's got to be a way for us to get to these people so we can get them properly diagnosed quicker. Because like I was saying about making sure that if they're diagnosed early with prednisone, it usually will put them in remission. And so that's one of my main goals right now is to make sure that people are getting diagnosed early. That's one part. Of, and my other part now is, like I was saying, you are not alone. I'm making sure people are not alone. Sad fact for sarcoidosis that I know of 100 patients in the last two years have passed away. That's people that I know of. 30 of them committed suicide. I can imagine being under those conditions. And it's I've had a couple of conversations in the last few days, and one of them specifically was with Frank, and he works as suicide prevention, you know, because he has thought about it and he has had relatives who've committed suicide. And we talked about all the different reasons behind most of these things. And one of the things that he was sharing is that people who commit suicide, most of the time they don't want to die but they simply want to end the pain or the suffering or even, I mean, physical or psychological or a combination of both. 
and it is that. It's that feeling of loneliness. It's that feeling of I'm the only one who cannot enjoy life. I'm the only one who cannot do these things or why me? So I think it's great that you're also going out there and helping others. Yeah. In 2015, I can honestly say that I actually put myself in a 72-hour watch, which is, you know, a suicide watch. I was told that there wasn't any more medicines that were going to help me. And I felt more of a burden to my wife and my child than actually, you know, being a father or a husband. So I actually thought about it. Thank God I have a counselor and thank God I talked to the counselor and I didn't do it. And I always felt like I was a strong person. And a lot of people see me as a strong person. I'm always having a smile on my face. I mean, I live with a seven, eight pain level every day, but I'm still smiling. But the smiles back then were fake, where now I'm smiling for the right reasons. So I want to make sure that the people know you're not weak if you ask for help. No, not at all. That was actually the basis of that conversation, that, that belief that we feel inadequate for one reason or another. And so we don't want to reach out. We don't want to talk to somebody else. We don't want to call out for help or admit that we need help. So one thing that has surprised me really in the last couple of conversations about this is how often that keeps coming up is the reasoning behind it. And whether we're talking about eating disorders, we're talking about chronic disorders, we're talking about suicide. It's always that. It's that feeling of inadequacy, that feeling of emptiness, that feeling of I'm alone and I can't talk to anyone about this. So so I think that the work that all of you guys are doing with this and with raising awareness is tremendously important and very valuable. And that's why I want to be able to help you as much as I can with this growing platform that we've got here that help you reach as many people as we can. Yeah, thank you very much. And what I would tell people is, at least for sarcoidosis, is listen, listen to the people. You know, most of these people don't want to be on disability. They don't want to be, you know, and all the people I talk to that have sarcoidosis, they want to be working. They want to be a normal person. And they also just want somebody to listen. You know, don't even have to say anything. Just listen at sometimes. And that just means more. And I could say from my point of view, it's the same thing. It's just having somebody there that just listens to me. It just, it gives me a sense that, okay, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm better now. <laughs> Exactly. I got that off my chest and now I can take a little bit more, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when it comes to raising awareness, what people could do is I always promote the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, which is stopsarcoidosis.org. They have so much material about sarcoidosis. You could donate to them. They're bridging the gaps between the pharmaceuticals and the doctors. They're paying that money to bridge that gap. A lot of people will not put money to something that doesn't look like it. Well, they say, you know what? Give it a chance. What do we have to lose? We have nothing right now. So they're giving money to give these people a chance. They're also giving new students grants, become sarcoidosis specialists. Now, it's a really good website to go check out. And they will really teach you so much about sarcoidosis and would really help a lot of people. Perfect. So everyone listening, that's a great resource. And if you have the means and you have the desire to help and really make a difference, this is a great cause to support, help them reach their goals, help them develop uh, treatments. Believe me, when I spent all those years at the clinic in Cancun, the main goal of that clinic and the research center was to actually 
do research. And we only opened the clinic when we realized that it wasn't easy to fund and we needed to make money to fund all that research. So even when we were independently doing our own research, it was expensive. So when you start talking about all the different agencies that you need to get involved in order to get a proper clinical trial, all the people that you need to get involved, all the recruiting, all the treatments, all of these things, not to mention the R&D behind the pharmaceutical themselves. These are things that need a big push. And we're not here to debate whether the system is right or wrong, or they could do something different to help us out. I think we need to recognize that it is what it is. And the way we can help is by donating time and or money. So Yeah, it also has all events are also on that webpage. I mean, I have a local webpage for New York for my sarcoidosis of Long Island, which is sarcoidosisofli.org locally. I also have all my events. I post everything that I'm doing and make sure everybody's aware. But if you really nationally want to check it out, that the national webpage would be stopsarcoidosis.org. They really would help. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Before we wrap this up, I just want to ask you as well, what changes have you seen since 2012 that you started doing these things? What do you think has been the most impactful change, the one that you found the most satisfying that you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad I worked towards getting this because now this is a reality? Yeah. For sarcoidosis, I think the one big change that we had is, remember in the beginning how I was saying that people were giving out different messages? Well, Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research brought all those little organizations together. And four years ago, they started a patient ambassador, which I happen to be for the four years. They started out with 13 patient ambassadors, and now we have 95 patient ambassadors throughout the United States. I think the only state we don't have is Hawaii right now. <laughs> so anybody in Hawaii wonder? <laughs> but we all asked to move over there, but they won't take let that happen. <laughs> we all are giving out the same information, and to see all these states actually recognizing April as Sarcoidosis Awareness Month now, I actually had another Schumer actually put out a bill in the Senate to recognize it nationally just before the presidential election. So it got pushed to the wayside, but we are still working on a national one. And I really believe we'll get it now. I think within the next year or two, we should have a national recognized. So that for sarcoidosis. Now, on a personal level, from 2012 to now, this one story, Senator Schumer, like I said, him and I really worked hard together to get things done. When the health care bill came up, of course, that affected me. <laughs> yeah, that bill really affects me hard. I always happened to be vacationing with my daughter and my wife in D.C. Through this whole time that I was in D.C., my daughter never actually went to D.C. So I actually wanted to show her what I was doing. So that health care bill was going up for the thing. They Senator Schumer asked me to speak at the Senate. Well, because the vote wasn't until one o'clock in the morning, he, he decided that I don't want you to have to be here at one o'clock in the morning. Blah, blah, blah. So he sent an email to all 50 senators with my story. And he sent a special one to Senator John McCain. He said, from one maverick to another. And after the vote, I got a call. It was like actually 1.47. I can tell you the exact time. I got a call from Senator Schumer. And I didn't know he sent them out. He told me then at 1.47 that he sent out this. And he goes, I really believe you had an impact on this vote. And it meant something to me. You know, at least my voice is being heard. 
Of course it does. And that's the reason why I wanted to ask you, because a lot of the times people are probably listening to us or watching this video and they might be thinking, you know, I would really want to make a difference in this particular thing that's of interest to me, but what difference can I make? What can I change? I'm just one person. And when I look at people like you, and you're such a great example of what change can be made when you have a passion and when you have a mission, you have, you're driven by something. It's remarkable the kind of changes that you can make. I mean, you're getting bills passed. You're changing how medicine is being taught in a couple of schools. You're making sure that doctors, at least in the back of their head, have the idea that, you know what, that might be sarcoidosis. Let's double check. And obviously you're helping raise awareness amongst the public to improve research, to improve conditions, and to, like you said, in your own words, to ensure that nobody else has to go through what you've been through, especially with a condition that could have been treated or stopped at a certain point. Yes, exactly. And thank you very much. I do appreciate having a platform like this to let people know about sarcoidosis. It's, you know, since it's been rare and it's actually, unfortunately, it's growing, but it's growing because people are actually recognizing it now more. Yeah, I think that now we have this great ability because information has been democratized and we're able to push it out and to gather our tribe and like-minded people will be listening to this hopefully and just growing and continue doing this. So it is really a pleasure to be able to help you with such a great mission that you have. And if there's anything else that we can help you with, please do let us know. Okay, sure will. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. One last question before we leave. Yes. Did you have fun here in the Highwood Health? Oh, yes, definitely. Awesome. That's what I like to hear. For everyone else watching us, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can just scroll down to the episode's description. You will find the links to the different organizations that Frank has been talking about. You will find the link to donate if you feel so inclined and to learn more about them. If you're listening to this on your podcast app, you can also scroll to the episode's description and you will find the same links there as well with the show notes. And you can just visit our website. I'll make sure to link everything there. If you have any questions, you can also send them right then and there. Frank, once again, thank you so much for stopping by. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless. I really like the positivity surrounding Frank and his message, and I hope you can help him raise awareness for psychodosis as well. The easiest way to do it is by sharing this episode with other people. Also, remember that you can find the links to the different organizations that Frank works with in our show notes over at dre.show. What was your favorite takeaway? Make sure to tag me on Instagram at drinestomd and let me know. Before we say goodbye, let me quickly remind you about our Vault of Goodies. Inside our Vault of Goodies, you will find the original, often extended versions of my conversations with our featured experts, as well as other interviews which have either not aired yet or were not intended for the podcast. Just head on over to dre.show forward slash goodies and request your free access. But that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Frank Rivera and Dr. E talk about sarcoidosis awareness. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there.